Wow. Thank you, Tom, for uh, that song. It's beautiful. And thank you uh, to the Sanctuary Guild. These uh, decorations didn't just drop down out of heaven. These dear folks were in here this week, what, two or three days working away at this, and it turned out wonderfully. Why? What is this Advent stuff? Why do we make so much of it? What's it all about? You ever stop and think about that? In the midst of all of this stuff, we sing the carols. It's a beautiful time of worship this morning, and uh, uh, the, the, the music and the decorations. But when you stop and consider just how magnificent this is, it's overwhelming. It's almost more than we can get our minds around. And the writer of Hebrews wrote the perfect Christmas letter. Sometimes the book of Hebrews is referred to as the fifth gospel. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John tell us what Jesus did while he was on earth. The book of Hebrews tell us why Jesus did it. What? The gospels. So what? The book of Hebrews. And these first two chapters of Hebrews put into perspective what this season really is all about. The writer began this way. In the past, God spoke to our fathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, God has spoken to us. He didn't speak through angels. He didn't speak through storms and cyclones and earthquakes. In these last days, God has spoken to us through his son. Stop and ponder that for a moment. Through his own son. His son whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the ages, the universe, the time unwinding, unfolding of his plan. He made that all through this son named Jesus. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his nature. He is very God of very gods. This Jesus whom we celebrate is none other than the King of kings, Lord of lords. And God has made himself known to us by sending his Son. As Marshall McLuhan used to say, the medium is the message. Jesus spoke God's truth. He was and is and eternally will be God's truth. The radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his nature. And he sustains, he moves, he holds together all things. He created the ages, he created time, he created eternity. He created God's plan as it moves forward, and he is the one who moves it forward. And this advent, this coming into the earth, changed the whole deal. His crucifixion and resurrection and his, his redemption of lost mankind by paying the debt of our sin. 
and then ascending it to heaven and being seated at the right hand of God where he always intercedes for us as our great high priest. What the writer is communicating to us is that everything changed at that moment we celebrate when God became flesh. Wow. That's what this is about. The coming of God in the flesh after he had provided purification for sins he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven and so he became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs stop and think about the angels and advent first thing the angel said to people is be not afraid why because people were afraid I mean an angel wow these magnificent creatures a host of angels singing to the shepherds the angels coming to Mary and to Joseph and to Zechariah John the Baptist's father this magnificent creatures messengers from God and in contrast, the King of Kings and Lord of Lords lies shivering in a barn, vulnerable, susceptible to death, except a young lady named Mary held him in her arms to give him warmth, fed him milk, raised him up, to become Jesus the Messiah. What a story. What a magnificent story. That's what Advent is about. And who is Advent about? Well, let's see how the writer continued. He says, to which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son, today I have become your father. To which of the angels did he say, your throne, O God, will last forever and ever? To which of the angels did God ever say, you will uh, 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 sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? And verses 4 through 14, these 11 verses here in at the end of chapter 1, use nine different Old Testament messianic passages to exalt and to proclaim the magnificence of this son who was born. And why say more glorious than the angels? Because he's saying how God was, was speaking to us through his son. And even these majestic creatures, these majestic beings through whom God had spoken to the Old, through the Old Testament in so many times, these, these scary, ominous, huge, powerful things called angels are not even beginning to compare with his son. The King of Kings and Lord of Lords. That's who it's about. So what's it about? It's about changing the universe, changing the world. Coming into the, to the world as a human so he could pay the price for our sins through his death on the cross. So he could be resurrected to demonstrate his power over even death. To be raised, to be seated at the right hand of the Father 
where he functions as our high priest forever and ever. And he is none other than the Son of God. How do we respond to that? <laughs> what do you say to a thing like that? How do you live if you are one of the people who has come to Christ and, and has accepted him as your personal Savior and Lord and, and who, who's living out of the benefit of him functioning as your high priest? <laughs> How then should we act? Well, the writer goes on in chapter 2 by telling us how we should respond to this magnificent thing called Advent, this wonderful deal that we celebrate. He said, therefore, based on the fact of what Advent is, the changing of the world, and who Advent is about, the King of kings, Lord of lords, the Son of God himself, therefore, the NIV says, we must pay most careful attention, which is good. But the writer of Hebrews threw this little three-letter word in there. Day. It is necessary. This ain't a suggestion, folks. Therefore, we must pay most careful attention to this fact, to this message, to this messenger, because the one who is speaking the message, and the message himself is none other than the Son of God. He has just spent the whole first chapter glorifying and exalting and getting our heads into the fact of who this person is who came from heaven to reveal God to us in a way that God had never been revealed before. How can you possibly get your head around that and not take it seriously? So what he said. Therefore, we... It is necessary that we pay the most careful attention to what we have heard so that we do not drift away. Then he continued, for since the message spoken through angels was binding and every violation of disobedience received a just punishment, how shall we escape if we ignore this great salvation? This salvation which was first announced by the Lord himself. It was confirmed to us by those who heard him. God also testified to it by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. So we, we can't ignore this message. We can't ho-hum it. We can't just put up Christmas trees and exchange presents and say, Happy Christmas. We can do that. And we should do that. And it's a wonderful thing. But don't stop there. It is necessary that we pay most careful attention to this message. We think about it. We meditate on it. We thank God for it. Otherwise, he says, we drift away. See what he said there? Therefore, it is necessary that we pay attention to this so that we don't drift away. I'm trying to think, what does that mean? Drift away. Drift away. Well, have you ever sat in a restaurant and watched a couple out at dinner together? One of them's on the phone, the other one's staring around, or they just sit in silence and eat. Well, they talk to the waiter. 
You think it was always that way with them? You think those early times where their palms were sweating, you know, yeah, couldn't wait to get through dinner to get home? Yeah. What happened? I got bored. Ho-hum. They stopped having dates. They just drifted. And what the writer is saying to us is if we don't pay most careful attention to this person named Jesus and cultivate an alive, fresh, dynamic relationship, then even Jesus and salvation and him being our high priest and all of this stuff, we drift away. That early excitement that we had when we first became a Christian. Do some of you remember that? Some of you say, I've been this all my life. I was never excited about it. <laughs> That's tragic, but even more tragic are those of us who, we heard the message. <laughs> I still, 15 years old, I was so, couldn't believe it. Couldn't believe it. Still can't. But hear this message. It is necessary that we pay attention to it or we'll drift away from it. And then he said this, for since the message spoken through angels, which he has just explained was crucial, beautiful, wonderful message from God, but it was spoken through angels. If that message spoken through angels was binding and every violation and disobedience received a, its just punishment, how shall we, now I'm going to get Greek on you again here. This is a, a particular construction. It literally reads, how shall we, we escape? See, the, the, the pronoun is included in the, in the, the verb form in, in Greek. So you don't have to add the pronoun unless it's very emphatic. And the writer did that here. He said it twice. He included the pronoun in the verb, and he wrote the pronoun. The pronoun is we. How shall we, how shall we escape if we ignore this great message? Wow, you better pay attention or you'll drift away. If you ignore so great a salvation, how will you escape? And just to remind you, he said, let me tell you about this salvation. This salvation which was first announced by the Lord himself. Jesus himself told us about salvation. It was Jesus who said, for God so loved the world. that he sent me, Jesus said, not me, into the world. So that no one needs to perish. I'm providing a way out of eternal condemnation. I am opening the doors of heaven so that you can have a personal, intimate relationship with God himself. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Jesus himself said that. It was first announced by the Lord. And he said, then it was confirmed to us by those who heard him. Now, session members, excuse me, I talked about this Tuesday night in session, so you're going to hear this a second time. But I, I was struck, struck this week, reading Second Peter, reading Second Peter. And, and I'd seen this many times, 
But a couple of weeks ago, I was reading this in Second Peter. It, it, it says, we did not, Peter now, Peter was one of the disciples. Peter was one of the guys who traveled around with Jesus. They ate together, they traveled together, they slept together, they took a bath in a river together. I mean, these were buddies. He was up close, personal to Jesus. He said, we did not follow cleverly devised stories when we told you about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in power, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. He said, we were there. We saw him. We were eyewitnesses of his majesty. He received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory saying, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on the sacred mound. Here's an eyewitness. I saw him. I heard him. This happened. It's more than about Christmas trees and flowers. This is the greatest event that ever happened on planet Earth. We were eyewitnesses. And then just turn over a couple pages to 1 John. Peter, James, and John were part of the inner circle. John wrote, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at, and our hands have touched. This is what we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared. We have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life. Wow. So that's what the writer of Hebrews is saying. Jesus proclaimed it. And those people who saw him and heard him, thousands of them, talked about it. So this isn't any con game. This really happened. And not only did Jesus speak it, and not only did his... Was it confirmed by those who heard? But God himself testified to it by signs and wonders and various miracles. He affirmed this thing by doing things that no one has ever done before. These supernatural events, which to us are supernatural, but to God are perfectly natural. God created the universe so he can act on it in other than the normal ways, and it's perfectly normal to him. But God acted in these ways. Why? To affirm, to confirm, to prove, to testify. This Jesus, he's the real deal. Look at the stuff he does. Look how he responds to ridicule. This is a man among men, a human among humans. There's something different about him. You know what's different about him? <laughs> he's the son of God. He's not an angel. He's superior, even to angels. And God also confirmed it by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. Whew. I'm tired. I'm going to go home and take a nap. That was hard stuff. <laughs> Do you get the visceral stuff of this? Don't miss it, my friends. Don't miss it. It is necessary that we pay attention to it so we don't drift away. How shall we escape if we ignore this incredible salvation? Escape what? How shall we escape? Escape what? Well, the book of Hebrews contains 
Five, most commentaries call it warnings. I call them encouragements. I like encouragement better than warning. My dad used to warn. My mother used to encourage. So, <laughs> encouragements. Here's, here's how you should respond. Let me give you some ideas of, 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 of what happens when you do pay attention and when you don't ignore. In chapter 3, the first of these encouragements, Therefore, just as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Take care, brothers and sisters, that there not be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God. Therefore, let us fear if while a promise remains of entering his rest, any one of you may seem to have come short of it. The writer is using is explaining this thing that happened in, chapter, in Numbers, chapter 14, when the children of Israel were at Kadesh Barnea, ready to enter the promised land, and they were afraid. They didn't trust God. They didn't believe God. And they backed away, and they spent the rest of their lives wandering in the wilderness instead of finding rest and peace because they trusted God enough to enter the promised land. And he's saying, if you ignore this great salvation, if you don't pay attention to it, you'll be like the children of Israel. Moses wrote a psalm in relation to that event. And he ended that psalm. Oh, Lord, give meaning to the work of our hands. We have lived a life of meaningless wandering around the wilderness because we didn't trust you. We didn't believe you. We ignored your message. So instead of having a life of God's rest, God's peace, confidence in God, we lived a life of turmoil and anxiety. How shall we escape if we ignore this great salvation? In Hebrews chapter 5, he was talking about this Melchizedek, this, this great Old Testament priest. He said, it's hard to explain, Melchizedek, since you have become dull of hearing. Everyone who partakes only of milk and is not accustomed to more difficult, more thoughtful thinking, these words of righteousness, remains an infant. Solid food is for the mature who, because of practice, have their senses trained to discern good and evil. And so the second encouragement is, is think, read, process, understand. The problem here in Hebrews 5 that he's warning about or encouraging us not to fall into is immaturity. People have been Christians for years, and they don't know the difference between Genesis and Revolutions. <laughs> one's at the front, one's at the back. I don't know anything about anything in the middle. I don't read my Bible. I don't read theology. I don't think with this stuff. It takes too much time. I got better things to do. There's a football game on this afternoon. I'm not saying don't watch football. I am saying carve out some time to think. Do not ignore this great salvation. It is necessary that we take this seriously. Chapter 6, therefore leaving the elementary teachings about the Christ, let us press on to maturity. The writer says, we desire that each one of you show the same diligence so that you realize the full assurance of hope. How shall we escape a life of doubt, a life of wondering, a life of, I think it's true, I hope it's true, instead of living a life of confidence and conviction? 
chapter 10, he says, let us draw near with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. Meditate on these truths. Think on these truths. Read these truths. Talk about them around your table. When you're out to dinner, instead of paying me the phone, talk about Jesus. Maybe share Jesus with the people at the next table. They see what a good time you're having. What are you guys talking about? Talking about the most wonderful truth you could ever imagine. And finally, chapter 12, let us, hold, let us also lay aside every encumbrance, anything that would hinder you, every encumbrance, and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. You will not grow weary and lose heart. Get into it. Get into the game. Don't ignore it. Pay attention to it. Because the Christian life, if it's going to work, has to be lived. <laughs> People say, Christianity doesn't make any difference to me. Maybe because you're not pursuing it. I think often Christianity has so little impact on our culture because Christianity has so little impact on Christians. What the writer is saying is this isn't just Christmas trees and flowers. This is truth. Truth that must be processed and, and dealt with and thought about and prayed about. It's a life that has to be lived. Let's say uh, some of us were at dinner and Kathy, she's a good cook. She likes to bring food. She brought a cake. Delicious cake. Wonderful cake. I, oh, wow, could I have that recipe? She says, yeah, yeah, man. So she gives me the recipe. So then we have a big church dinner here. And I say, I make cakes for everybody. But it doesn't cakes. Everybody have cake. Kathy gave me the recipe. It's her recipe. She made it up. It's her cake. I just made it. So you take a bite. Oh, eh, it's awful. <laughs> Kathy, what's wrong with your recipe? So she gets me in a corner. What in the world are you doing to my recipe? Well, you know, I'm on a diet. I didn't put any sugar in that thing. And instead of supposed to put baking powder in, you ever taste that stuff? That would ruin it. I didn't put any of that in. She'd say, hey, dummy, if you're going to claim it's my recipe, follow the recipe. Don't make up your own recipe and then blame me because it didn't work. And the writer of Hebrews is saying, if life ain't working for you, baby, it's your own fault. <laughs> Old man almost came out there, didn't he? This is about Jesus. It's about Jesus changing the universe and changing the world and changing culture one person at a time and changing you and me one day at a time as we don't ignore as we realize it is necessary that we pay attention to this intimate, personal relationship we have with Jesus Christ. That's what this is all about.